Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. My name is Christian Sager. Robert, what what do you think your chances are of surviving if like a real zombie apocalypse hit us? A real full blown zombie apocalypse? Yeah. Like how well would you fare? Do you have a ba- you have a plan? Well, here here's here's my thoughts on this. So when we start thinking about zombie apocalypse, it's easy for us to start putting our, ourselves in survival mode because yeah. we think in that black and white um view of okay, I shoot the zombie, I you know, look out for bad people and then look after my own. I can do it, I, I can do this, I can pull this off. However, any kind of zombie apocalypse is still essentially like the collapse of civilization. Right. Yeah. The collapse of order. And I, I tend to have low expectations about my ability to survive that in any in any way, shape, or form that would that would feel like a victory. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I on the other hand so I used to work right where they shot the first couple episodes of The Walking Dead in mm-hmm. downtown, downtown Atlanta. Where they so, have a tank. Yep, right where the tank was, yep. exactly. The tank's still there. They just keep it out in the Yeah, room. it is. So, funnily enough, that? it's active, too. You can yeah. shoot buildings down with it. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, at the, and so at the time, like, I was working on horror projects, mm-hmm. and my collaborator, E.C. Steiner, who we know from the show because he's helped out with, oh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. monster yeah. science mm-hmm. stuff before, um, he and I put a plan together and he, uh, we're, we've got like some people in our lives that are our go-to, like if something like this hits, we get them, we put together a band and, and we have a location, like a secure place where we're going to go. Uh, it's the, it might be the library downtown because it, uh, doesn't have any windows up until like maybe the fourth floor. Problem is I just found out yesterday they instituted thumbprint biometric authentication scanners at this library. So you can't get in unless hmm. your thumbprint is like in their database. So, but that means that zombies with thumbprints, they could, could theoretically. Yeah. yeah. Like if students mm-hmm. had uh, been turned into zombies or just marginally smart in. zombies, which it kind which of ruins my whole plan. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. See, my, my, my view tends to re- run more along the lines of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Mm. Uh, and so I envision my place in a zombie apocalypse being a daily struggle to see if I mercy kill those I love and then myself. Have I, I've told this on other podcasts I know, but have I ever told you how I read The Road? No. I listened to it on audio tape while I was running. Oh, yeah. And it, man, that was a depressing workout. Like, it was like, I don't know, two weeks or or whatever it took me to get through it during my daily runs. But it was like, you're just like running along and it's just, everything was gray. <laughs> Everyone was dead. There was depression, you know. You've, you've read the book. so Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I've, read it, I've read it a, a couple of times. I have not read it since I became a father, though. So yeah. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know if I'll ever be ready for that. It's good stuff, uh, which leads us to why are, we, why are we talking about zombies? Well, today we're doing a, a sort of quick version of Monster Science here where we're going to tackle two very – they're called micro-studies mm-hmm. that came out of the University of Leicester. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we actually posted these to our Facebook page. So if you follow us on social media, you might have seen these. You may have even commented on them. Some of the comments from those Facebook posts are going to show up in today's episode. But we we saw these. We thought they were interesting because they were along the lines of what we do with Monster Science, especially what Robert has done in the past with the video series Monster Science. If you haven't seen it, I recommend go watch it on our site or on YouTube. But uh, and zombies come up quite a bit when we talk about various parasitic organisms, yeah. the cordyceps organism, different different uh, parasitic zombifying uh, agents in our world. So so yeah, zombies are very much on the plate here. It's stuff to blow your mind. So when a new study came out and grabbed the headlines. We, yeah. we figured, yeah, we should cover it. People really glommed onto this one way or the other. They either mm-hmm. loved it or they hated it. <laughs> a lot of you out there uh, who follow us on social media said, please do an episode on this. So that's why we're here. But a lot of people, too, were like, this study is bogus and here's why. And, <laughs> and we're going to talk about that as well. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to start off. What 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 are your favorite zombie films? Like, let's let's establish some ground rules. There's a lot of zombie entertainment out there right now. And it's funny, like, I was looking at sort of the gamut of all of it, and I forgot about some really great movies. 
Well, you go first. Well, what are your what are your favorites? Well, my favorite is Twenty Eight Days Later. Oh yes, uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful one. That's the one that scared me the most, and I and I and I really like it, like both in terms of story and how it's shot the most. Um, in fact, I, I got this really great poster at New York Comic Con last year uh, by the artist Jacques, and it's uh, just a big landscape picture of of the main character walking down a road that's totally abandoned in London and uh just really evocative and you can get two of them the the second one it's the same thing except for there's a horde of zombies chasing after him but i prefer <laughs> i preferred the lonely walk yeah that was a great film especially the i would say the first two thirds of that film yeah. are just just very difficult to beat in terms of zombie uh, cinema. And there's, of course, people are split on this. There's so, there are some uh, zombie fans out there who say, "Oh, Fast Zombies, yeah. not a zombie film." Yeah. They're, they're probably cursing us right now for even bringing it up. Maybe, uh, but it, actually, the fast zombie, slow zombie argument is going to be important to the science today. Yeah, um, I, I will come in and say that one of my favorites yeah. is actually a, a fast zombie film, and yeah. that is uh, Dead Set. I haven't seen that. What's that? Yeah, Dead Set. This was a 2008 British kind of a miniseries. Okay. And it was created by Charlie Brooker, oh, who, of course, everyone's yeah. now familiar with because of uh, of Black, Black Mirror. Mirror. Yeah. But this one had fast zombies in it. It had to do with the, the cast of a Big Brother UK. <laughs> Um, n- not being aware that the whole world is, uh, is, is falling into zombie chaos. Oh, that's outside. a brilliant premise. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds like it's going to be a comedy. I went into it. This was, this, it wasn't available in the States at the time. I think now it's on Netflix, but at the time you had to get a, a like a pirated copy sure. of it. And so I obtained it and I was telling my wife, it's like, Oh, I got this new comedy. <laughs> it's about these uh, reality people, reality star people, and they're zombies. And we're like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And we sat down to watch it, and it is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great, uh, great zombie film. But the, the fast zombie thing is interesting because when it came out, a lot of people were criticizing uh, Brooker's use of the fast zombies, yeah. including Simon Pegg. He came out in one of the, uh, of Shaun of the Dead, came out yeah. and was criticizing it. And Brooker basically said, look, we didn't have the budget for a horde of zombies. And if you don't have the budget for a, a full mass of zombie flesh, yeah. you've got to make the most out of individual zombies. And the best way to do that is to have them run really fast and you play some Aphex Twin over it. And voila, you got some dead set. <laughs> what? So wait, 28 days later and probably what, the remake of Dawn of the Dead were like the two big uh, fast zombie movies, like the the start of that? I guess so, though you do see some fast and semi-fast zombie movements in other films as well. Yeah. Uh, one of which I'll get to in a minute. Well, the original Dawn of the Dead is one of my favorites as well. I, I, the Zack Snyder one is fine, but I, I really have a soft spot for the original one where they're... Oh, yeah. I mean, both of them, they're in a mall, but uh it's just... um Everything that's great about zombie cinema, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about the zombies. It's about like the themes of humanity and what happens to humanity as a microcosm in the middle of this crisis, right? Yeah, like basically the idea of this one is that you have a team, some survivors and they find this shopping mall yeah. that has been untouched. I mean, there's zombies in it, but nobody's looted it. It's, it's like a little paradise. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me a lot of a, a Michael Caine film that came out, I think before this called The Last Valley, I believe. Okay. Where it it's, um, uh, he's a, a general and it's, uh, and, uh, they end up, him, him and his uh, troops end up finding a valley that's untouched by, uh, I want to say it was the Hundred Years War, but it's been a while since I've, I've seen it. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I think stories like that now get like, oh, how, why don't we throw some zombies in there? That'll, that'll sell it a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a bad strategy. Like instead yeah. of, saying zombies first now it's fine to now i need to craft a story around it yeah. go ahead and steal a good story from somewhere else and borrow a good story add zombies and you got something new and that's kind of the theme of the studies that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today some other of my favorites are i, I don't know uh, Shaun of the dead you mentioned that's a great one just to pull out every once in a while and have mm-hmm. a good laugh i really also like uh for funds night of the creeps and the omega man the charlton oh, heston yeah, omega yeah. man uh and Pontypool was one that popped up I had forgotten about. That's a great zombie film that's just really small, low budget, smart movie. Yeah. Um 
One that one more that I want to mention. Uh, well, I'll mention just a couple in passing. I'm a big fan of uh, some of the Lucio Fulci uh, Italian zombie films, like The Beyond. Uh, to a limited extent, The House by the Cemetery, because it's only one undead creature in that, and he's more of a mad scientist. Okay, but one of the best uh, that I would I would just be remiss if I didn't mention is Return the the Return of the Living Dead, 1985. This one was directed by Dan O'Bannon. Of, oh, uh, Alien wow! Yeah. Really? Okay, you were talking to me about this beforehand, and I didn't know much about it. But now that you've said Dan O'Bannon, I have a much clearer head, oh, idea yeah. in my head of what what this is going to be like. Oh yeah, it's it's Dan a- O'Bannon, maybe the crankiest person <laughs> in any of the uh, Alien behind the scenes interviews. Like, if you ever watch any of the like. DVD extras where they talk to Dan O'Bannon. He is just not a happy camper. <laughs> well, he l- luckily for us, he did uh, he did have a role in some some pretty cool films here and there. And this is one of them. This this is a, a zombie film that is fun. It has uh, it has some some gore moments, some wonderful zombie effects. But the zombies talk. The zombies eat brains. It's it's fabulous. Uh, I think he had something to do with Life Force too, didn't he? The uh, the Toby Hooper one. Yes, he wrote the screenplay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, he was involved. Uh, that was right after this. Okay. So yeah, Alien, Blue Thunder, Dead and Buried. He said he said his he hands had in Total to do Recall. With, with Carpenter on um, what was Carpenter's first thing? They worked on something together. Anyways, so. You know, you're probably wondering, well, why are you guys nerding out about this? Yeah, stop nerding out. Well, <laughs> get to the zombie. One thing sciences. that we're actually starting to do along with some of our episodes, and you may be familiar with this if you follow us on social media, is uh, we're trying to do every couple Fridays a Facebook live event where we do trailer talk about the science that we cover in the podcast that week over movie trailers that are related to what we're doing. So probably... Uh, this week that we're recording this, so those of you who are listening, this will have happened in the past, but we'll do a, a zombie trailer thing along the lines of this episode. Yeah. It'll be on our Facebook page. Yeah, if you so, missed it, it'll be up on Facebook. Yeah, and you can watch it. It'll be Robert and I talking over trailers, basically applying what we, what we learn here today. And what is that? Well, so this is the, the general idea here seems to be And this isn't just the University of Leicester, but it seems to be using theoretical zombie science to teach the public about the importance of public health and disaster preparedness. Um, Now, the the university's press release for the specific thing that we're going to talk about today, they say that their science topics module is trying to add a sense of humor to teaching sound scientific principles to help communicate science to the public. Now, I have to note here, though, there was a huge disclaimer from the university at the top of the press release to make sure that everybody knew that the release didn't actually uh, like represent the institution's views. Uh, and I find that funny having formerly worked in academia. I'll talk a little bit about that later in the episode. But basically, they've got this undergraduate program, and these undergraduates are assigned to write and critique and publish their own research papers in a group. Uh, and they apply the scientific principles to phenomena from things like pop culture or everyday life. So you get these zombie studies, you get um, something similar to uh, the episode that you and I did on vampire physics, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But the purpose isn't to actually learn zombie science. The purpose is to teach these students and the public that's reading their work about how scientific principles can be applied in the real world. So it's it's really a communications method. Yeah, and for the most part, it tends to work. These studies, and this was, not, you know, like you said, this is not the first study to do this. There have been a few different that have tackled zombies. There's oh, yeah. a vampire one. I don't know if there's been a werewolf one or one that tackles Frankenstein's. Right. Um, but somebody get on a Frankenstein's yeah. one. How, how, how do Frankenstein's spread? Let us know. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but you know, the, these are the, the studies that do capture public attention. They show up on stuff like the Colbert Report. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's worth, it's worth keeping. They're worth doing, in my opinion. So the papers, the way that it works is they're openly published in the university's own online journal. And this is an open access journal that anybody can read. And they're scrutinized at the same level that, you know, regular academic papers would be that are published. They encourage these undergraduates to have a realistic introduction to how difficult academic publishing and peer review is. And it prepares them for a career in scientific research. 
Uh, so they introduced this to their department. It's actually not that new of a thing. They started doing this in 1996. Um, of course, some people have criticized them uh, for taking trivial. They say they're trivializing science. And they also say that they're wasting public funds on, quote, zany non-topics. Uh, the scholars who are running the program actually argue, well, it's more about the communication and, and teaching than it is about the actual research. Now, this is where I'm going to talk about my own experience here um, with this type of thinking in academia. So I've mentioned this before, but I used to work at a state university here in Atlanta. I was in public relations there. So uh, part of my job was to get people interested in the library in particular. And while I was there, they there were a couple of instances that popped up that were like this. And I saw firsthand the gnashing of teeth of these academics who thought, oh, this is trivializing what we do. This is such a waste. Uh, one of them was that the library wanted to do like a, a zombie gag kind of video trailer mm-hmm. uh, that taught people how to use the library. So like the gag was like students were trapped in a study room and there were zombies all around them and they needed to use like library resources to, to get help, right? Um, stuff like that. Also, around the same time, and you and I talked about this, the CDC, this was in 2009, the CDC started this public advocacy program where they did a whole thing about zombies. Yeah. Uh, the CDC is based here in Atlanta. And I, I mean, I guess I think it's, it's safe to say a lot of the universities here feel like a sort of affinity and connection with the CDC and that it represents them somehow. And man, did I hear people complaining <laughs> about that. Like, oh, what is the CDC doing? This is such a waste of time. And it was the same effort, basically. The idea was like, I think they had like a zombie kind of like preparedness guide or blog or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was silly, but it was the idea wasn't like, hey, zombies are real. It was, hey, we're the CDC. We're real. You should know about us. And like maybe if you come and you take a look at this stuff, you'll learn about what we actually do. Yeah. I mean, the criticism here also reminds me of the critics of the Ig Nobel Prize. Uh, yeah. who have in the past said, oh, well, this trivializes science. You're high, you're, you're making fun of science. You're, you're highlighting studies that aren't important, that sort of thing. And yeah, I think uh, I, those tend to be just a few outliers for the most part, I, I feel. But I think it's obviously more about just having fun with the topic and generating some attention uh, to, to the, to these particular studies that are, uh, in the case of the Ig Nobel Prizes, like none of them are ridiculous. We've, we've right. covered them before on the show, uh, two years running, mm-hmm. where we really highlight that, yeah, each of these studies actually is doing something of scientific importance. It may not be, uh, it may not be curing cancer. It, it may seem a little bit, uh, shrimp on a treadmill to you, but it's all part of the, the scientific effort. Yeah. And in my experience, like most of the people who get upset about this are, are old guard academics mm-hmm. who, you know, it's threatening to them. They feel like it's threatening their routine. Yeah. It's just, you know, I think a regular kind of cyclical thing that happens in academia. Yeah. But, and, and you do see other uh, outlets engage in this sort of thing on a regular basis. For instance, yeah. uh, the British uh, Medical Journal, they'd put out a Christmas edition every year where they they, they play around with the format a bit more. And in 2015, they actually put out uh, a paper, uh, Zombie Infections, uh, Epidemiology Treatment and Prevention by uh, Tara Smith, Associate Professor at Kent State University in Ohio. And this was a tongue-in-cheek article that, that explored the idea of a zombie outbreak. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got a lot of stuff like that out there. I think if you've heard about it, like we've heard about it, and you've seen them running on sites, like I think I first saw it on Live Science and then actually here at How Stuff Works, we ended up running an article about mm-hmm. it. Um you know, I see it as like this is a great way to get people interested in communicating about actual real life public health issues. Um, and it's interesting. We saw that in our Facebook thread. And so some of those comments I want to bring into it today after we go through mm-hmm. these studies, because there was a lot of a lot of reactions, a lot of arguing that was very logical. But if they had read the studies all the way through, I think most of their questions would have been answered. And not to mention, this kind of project really speaks to our own mission here. It's stuff to blow your mind. What we try to do with the show as well, make science accessible and fun. All right. Well, on that note, I think maybe we should take a quick break. Yeah. And when we come back, let's jump into this study and talk about exactly uh, what it consists of. Okay, we're back. So... There's actually two studies that were done here at this at the University of Leicester. Uh, and the students that were involved, their names were C.T. Davies 
K.J. Cheshire, R. Garrettley, and J. Moore, and they used a real epidemiological model to figure out how long it would take zombies to wipe out humanity. They did two studies, the second of which concluded that there would be less than 300 survivors remaining after 100 days of a zombie outbreak. So there's some hope. Uh, and I'm, I'm tentatively calling this a hundred days later because they're using the basically like, what would, what, what would it look like specifically a hundred days after, uh, the outbreak? They assumed the following in their study. The first was that a zombie can find one person each day. And the second was that a zombie has a 90% chance of infecting their victims, which seems pretty high. By day 100, they calculated there would only be 273 remaining humans with a million to one zombies to that. So there would be 273 million zombies. They considered that the 90% probability of infection would actually become less realistic as the zombie to human ratio increases. So that, that'll be important later because that was a common complaint of okay. some of the people. It would just who, be harder for the remaining humans to be infected because there'd just be too many zombies, were, too few humans, yeah. and the humans that are left are probably hardened to the realities. Exactly. Like we see on Walking Dead. Like if you're, you, by the later seasons, you should know when to reach into the zombie horde with a, a hammer. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've developed the, the necessary skills. So the model they used is a real model that's called the SIR model, and it describes the spread of a disease throughout a population. It considers the rates at which infections spread and die off as individuals in the population come into contact with each other. So this seems like an important thing that we should, you know, have a basic understanding of. It splits the population into three categories. The first is those who are susceptible to the infection. That's the S. Those who are infected, that's the I. And those that have either died or recovered, and that's the R. It's considered the rates at which infections spread and die off as individuals in the population come into contact with each other. And it's defined by three equations. There's a bunch of math in this. I'm not going to read out like sigma, whatever to mm-hmm. you. You know, you can go look at these if you want to. They're readily available online. Um, but we want to make this accessible to you as well. The team here, they rechristened the SR, SIR model as the SZD model because, because the, the ZI infected are their zombies and R is actually their dead, uh, which includes both dead zombies, actual dead, not undead and, and dead people. Uh, and this reflected susceptible zombie and dead categories. Now, a constraint of the model that we should note is that each person in it moves from being susceptible to being a zombie to being dead. This model does not account for simply going from being susceptible to being dead. Okay. okay. So it doesn't account for ways that human beings could die other than by being killed by a zombie in a zombie apocalypse, which as we've seen in all kinds of zombie entertainment, more often than not, your fellow humans are even more dangerous than the zombies are during crises like that. All right. So here's the first study. It was called a zombie epidemic, and it did not factor in the following natural birth or death rates during this hypothetical epidemic. They assumed that over the course of a 100 days, that these would be negligible compared to the impact of the zombie virus within that time frame. And their calculations suggested that with an equal distribution of global populations, the human race would get totally wiped out. Now, another thing to consider here is their calculation had estimated a zombie outbreak as being roughly twice as contagious as the Black Death was. So they had they had to have some basis point basically to to set up what their numbers would be. Right. So they looked to well, what's the closest thing we've had? And they saw Black Death and said, let's use that. In addition, they estimated that a zombie's lifetime would only be 20 days before they starved to death, basically, and rendering them effectively dead. Now, this brings to mind, like, some of you out there are going, well, zombies are already dead. Why would, why would they need to eat? Why would they need to drink, right? It reminds me of the end of 28 Days Later, uh, where the zombies, you know, they crave, like, coming into contact with people. In that case, they're like rage zombies. But, mm-hmm. but they do, they need to, like, consume energy the same way any other being does. And so, like, they run out of steam, basically. 
that's the question that always comes up for me when I watch The Walking Dead. Like, yeah. At what point do you outlast these things? That it, right. That they're they're standing there, they're rotting, they're reduced to skeletons. You've got to think if they're craving flesh or brains or whatever, they must need it for something. It's probably mm-hmm. fuel, the same way that like we crave food and water. Yeah. Do they do, do they put out heat? If not, then they must be freezing during the winters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if so, that's going to damage the tissue even more. I mean, I, you can go on and on picking scientific yep. holes in the zombie myth. Another aspect of the study was factoring in the rate of the infection and how it would spread across geographical boundaries. So to do this, they added to the formulas a system that prevented a very low amount of zombies being able to start an infection when a regional population was much higher in proportion. I think like, for example, they said like uh, 0.10 zombies versus like 100 humans. It would be totally unrealistic for the zombies to really do anything, right? The numbers have to sort of come closer to one another in terms of population. However, this assumes that the global population is evenly distributed across the regions that are all adjacent to one another, right? So they're basically like... Let's say it's county to county that like there's 50 people in each county, right? Even though like in real life, our populations are much more diversely and uh, spread out. So that basic model in the first study found that it would take 20 days for the infection to spread to a noticeable fraction of the population. Once that happened, the remaining population would be quickly overtaken with only 181 survivors versus 1.9 times 108 zombies after 100 days. But if you stagger the infection due to geographical segregation, and I think what they're talking about there is what I mentioned earlier, like that there would be a variety in how many people would be in each adjacent area to the, I guess, uh, ground zero for this, Mm -hmm. then they would have 273 survivors on day 100 versus... 1.9 1.9 times 106 zombies. But still a shred of hope. Yeah. A little shred. I mean, you've got, yeah, you've got a couple people. What they didn't do is extrapolate how much longer out it would take for those, you know, 273 people to be overwhelmed by the 1.9 times 106 zombies. But there's a little bit of hope there. Yeah. Maybe if you hole up, if you follow my plan, available <laughs> online. <laughs> no. Uh, so... They recognized that there there were some flaws in this study, right? Uh, as you know, as we'll find, a lot of people pointed out to them online. Uh, so they did a second study, and they called this another zombie epidemic. <laughs> and they introduced parameters that allowed for the zombies to be killed and for people to have children during a zombie apocalypse. Now, this made human survival more feasible, and it suggested that eventually the zombies would be totally wiped out and humanity would recover. For reproduction, they assumed, and this was kind of wild to me, they assumed that any given half of the population would be able to pair up and reproduce, and they gave birth to one baby every three years. They acknowledged that this was unstable if we had a population level like our current one, right? Mm -hmm. But they said it was suitable for their purposes since the population was so small from the zombie devastation. They also factored in that half of the population of the susceptible people would be female, and half of those females would be able to bear children. So, I mean, okay, they're, they're just kind of going with some averages here, it sounds like to me. Yeah. Now, of course, I know a number of people are thinking out there, these children are going to be nothing but a liability mm-hmm. until at least, oh, I don't know, what's a good zombie fight in age? 15, 14, 13? Yeah. I mean, from the, uh, I guess the Walking Dead's our best example. Carl like starts off at like, I don't know, 11 or 12 and he's probably like 14 by the time the show is currently up to play. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think of, uh, like TV they children have a baby. you trust to kill zombies. Could, could Opie have killed children? Huh. I mean, not killed children. Could Opie have killed... Opie could definitely have killed children. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. at what point are they actually going to be able con- to contribute to the survival effort here? I wonder if it's uh, sort of along the lines of what we were talking about in our Expanse episode in terms of like the ages for draftability for yeah. warfare. Uh, but I, I don't know. I Theoretically, I guess high schoolers would be great. I mean, uh, Red Dawn. Yeah. But, hey, 
That also reminds me of my uh, a favorite zombie movie, Night of the Comet. Uh, the two girls in that are high school age girls, and they do a pretty good job. But their dad like taught them how to shoot <laughs> Uzis, I think, or something like that. Okay, <clears throat> back to this study. They had some other parameters, too, to try to make it more, quote, realistic. They altered the uh, infection probability to vary as the system evolved, accounting for survivors being able to kill the zombies and considering the population's reproduction rate. So they also extended the lifetime of the zombie from 20 days to one year to make them more formidable. Uh, I don't know what the rationale behind that was. What do you think? I mean, 20 days seems like a legitimate time for, uh, okay, assuming a zombie needs to eat mm-hmm. to keep cruising along and not just fall apart. 20 days sounds reasonable to me. That's longer than you and I could go. Yeah, I, I guess you could make a case for either one, but it's one of those situations where if you start trying to pick it apart, yeah. it's going to fall apart pretty easily. Yeah, a year seems long to me, but then like, you know, most of our zombie entertainment, you see zombies that look like they've been uh, totally rotting away for longer than yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it, it it raises the question, does, does, does the creature continue to rot? Yeah. Does its Are its muscles contributing to its movement, or is there some, just how supernatural is the effect? Exactly. Good call. Okay. Well, when they introduced this, it allowed for the rate of change in the zombie population to change by the rate at which the susceptible population could kill them. So there's some more fluctuation and variety here. It also increased the rate of change of the dead population by the same amount. So that kind of makes sense, too, right, is that like that as they're killing off zombies or as the zombies are dying from hunger or as the people mm-hmm. are dying, theoretically, that uh, the dead, the number of dead would pile up. Now, with these alterations, the students found that it was more likely that humanity would survive a zombie apocalypse under these constraints and could wipe out the zombies after 103 days. So that seems significantly better than what we got last time. Last time it was there was a glimmer of hope, but it seemed pretty daunting. Now, here's my question. We talked about this earlier. Fast zombies versus slow zombies. There's no in these papers. There's no definition of what kind of zombies we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to assume they're fast zombies. A 90 percent probability of infection rate seems really high to me. I mean, if those were slow zombies, then what would the infection rate of a fast zombie be? Like 99 percent or something? Yeah, I mean, based on just our, our viewing of various zombie films, the for the slow zombies, you're you're really only in danger a in the in the early goings yeah. when you don't know what's up. Uh, B, when there is a, a very high population density of zombies, you're dealing with a zombie horde. Yeah. And maybe you're factoring into a constrained space, uh, urban environment, et cetera. Uh, and beyond that, just like sheer human stupidity. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which granted, never, never should we, uh, we underestimate pure human stupidi- stu- stupidity to uh, get in our way of survival. This is true. Watch any episode of The Walking Dead for further reference. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to assume that they're fast already, but I'm curious what you guys out there think. Okay, let's take another break, and then when we get back, we're going to talk about the commentary that surrounded this, at least for us, and then we'll look at one more zombie study. All right, we're back. So, uh, yeah, you believe you were the one who shared the original study on Facebook. Uh, how did folks react? Well, it was very popular. I mean, we pay attention to our, our Facebook metrics and we see what succeeds and what doesn't. It help us, it helps us to choose what to talk about mm-hmm. in the future, right? Uh, and it was extremely popular, but several people took issue with the students' methodology, though not all of them seem to have read past the headline or the first paragraph. So for me, I was considering like what their mission here wasn't the zombie research. It was the communication. Like if we go back to what, what their actual goal was here, let's remember these are undergraduate students. They're I'm presumably the same age as we would be here in the United States, like 18 to 22 years old. Um, and the, the goal was for them to learn what it's like to put their uh, research out there in the world and then to have it hacked to bits. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an interesting lesson in terms of that, especially in terms of consumption of uh, digital media. Uh, I'd also argue all these comments showed that the university's campaign to get people to think about public health were pretty effective because as as uh, 
you know, interesting and kind of argumentative and pedantic as some as some of this stuff is, it got people thinking about public health in a, a logical way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the arguments that they make are things that were actually addressed in the study. So here's one of the first ones that I pulled. Uh, somebody on our Facebook said this about the study. Except there are some very bad assumptions in their model. They basically assume that people, the most powerful predators on Earth, won't or can't fight back. Now, that's something that they address in the second study. They ignore travel time, e.g. it's going to take a long time for zombies to swim to continents and islands not connected to the one where the outbreak starts. If people are smart enough not to fly them there on airplanes, etc., that's true, but they, they do also address the geographical adjacent uh, population density, right? which I think was their attempt to tackle that. And, of course, the zombies are going to run out of energy, stored fat, etc., before they cross an ocean, unless they're really good at grabbing fish along the way. They also tackled that, right, in that they, they gave the first study, they had the 20 days limit, mm-hmm. and then they had the one-year limit in the second study. Yeah, now, the, the, the energy argument, I feel, is one of those that... It's it it definitely blows a hole in pretty much any zombie idea. So it's kind of it's kind of out of out of the box for the thought experiment. Like right. Where, whereas the first uh, couple of points that this person raised are are very much in keeping with the thought experiment. Right. Yeah. So it's exactly it's like breaking the premise. Yeah. Because I I, I can't I can see the validity here in saying you know wouldn't people fight back? Now you can make some arguments to say that hey we we can look at real life threats and how people yeah. often fall back on normalcy bias. They just they just assume this can't be happening and they have trouble actually reacting and and readjusting to uh, to the new set of circumstances and the danger they're faced with. So, you know, I think we can go either way on that. And as far as zombies traveling to other places, certainly the the idea of a full-blown zombie uh being permitted to board an airplane by TSA <laughs> is uh well is hilarious and and maybe not practical, but uh but the idea of a, an infected individual yeah. Certainly in a time of chaos, it's trying to flee to different uh, places. Did you see World War Z? Wasn't that like a big plot point in World War Z? I I, I did not see the movie. I read the book and really enjoyed it. So I remember a scene where there's a zombie that was like trapped in the landing gear or something like that. And like a stewardess goes and like opens up the thing to figure out why the warning alarm is going off. And those are fast zombies. And like basically like the infected... You you have this instance in that movie where that one zombie infects her and then just like this wave of people getting infected mm-hmm. moves from the back of the plane toward the front of the plane. And it's like worst case scenario, right, where you're on a plane and you're just like, there's no way out. What do I do? And I, if I, spoilers for World War Z, I guess. But like, I think what happens is like they crash the plane and somehow Brad Pitt just like lives through a plane crash. <laughs> um, I I. You know, I take it back. I think I did see the movie. Yeah. And but the only thing I really remember is that they did have a very f- not only fast zombies in terms of their speed, yeah. but just fast in terms of the in- 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 infection. Like you could see the infection spread right from street to street. Yeah. And, remember and, they like could like it, it, they moved like waves, right? Yeah. Like there was some kind of a, wasn't there even like a scene where they like the zombies were sort of like ants. They, yeah, like, they operate like a hive mm-hmm. and they would like pull helicopters down and stuff. It does make me realize that one of the advantageous things about using zombies to study the spread of infectious disease is that despite the fact that we all know what diseases are, yeah. essentially, you know, we experience illness. We we know how these things work. We know to wash our hands. These are still kind of invisible forces to us. Right. And the zombie makes the invisible visible. And therefore, we're maybe a little more inclined to engage in in these thought experiments. And then perhaps the residual knowledge will be useful in thinking about actual legitimate diseases. Well, I'll give you an example that's pretty grounded and close to home for us. Ebola. Yeah. So the CDC's here. You may remember, like, what was it, like a year ago, a little over a year ago, when there was an Ebola scare. We had some doctors who were infected with Ebola brought back here to Atlanta, mm-hmm. and they were in a public hospital, not in a CDC hospital, quarantined to be taken care of for this. And there was huge concern throughout the city of, oh, they're bringing this infection to the city. We're all going to die. There's going to be a huge Ebola breakout. 
And I remember just thinking like, well, clearly a lot of these folks aren't educated on public health and transmission of disease and how Ebola works. But like, well, and people get emotional paranoid and paranoid yeah. about, about things that threaten them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, it kind of makes you think like, well, maybe if we all just sat down and walked through the SIR model, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we did that on CNN instead of some of the stuff that's on there, we would have a better understanding of what the likelihood of its, of a traveling was, right? Anyway, back to these zombie questions. So, okay, the second one was another comment on Facebook. And this person says, yes, but this study is super flawed. A zombie wouldn't have a 90% chance of infecting someone every day forever. Maybe the first weeks, but after that, I know the percentage would stop, would start dropping. Now, again, that was something they addressed in the study. They, mm-hmm. they, they definitely said that they accounted for a fluctuation, at least in the second study, of whether 90% would hold because as we, as we mentioned, right? Like if once you reach kind of a saturation point of zombies, there are not really that many other humans for you to be able to infect. So that rate's going to go down. So they did address that. Um, and that's, that it's a good point, but that's part of the study. All right. Third one here. The numbers here just don't make sense. As the human population dwindles, so would the chance of a zombie encountering a human. And you really can't predict stuff like strategy, preparation, etc. Chances are there's going to be a few communities scattered across the world that adapt. So same thing. They're basically arguing about the 90 percent rate. Yeah, you can't account for things like strategy and preparation. Of course not. But this is a model, you know, it's, it's not predicting the future, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, yeah, 90 seemed high to me. You know, I, but basically the math works out either way, right? If you just change 90 to another number, you would, it would just spit out different results, right? Yeah. And then the last one was what we've talked about already. Uh, somebody said zombies would last less than 48 hours because of a phenomenon called bacteria that would eat them up. Well, again, I think that's totally fair, but it breaks the thought experiment. So yeah. it's it's we kind of have to dismiss it, even though that is, again, one of one of the uh, the, the most valid um, criticisms. Sure. Of yeah. The, the, the idea of zombies. I think we even have an article on how stuff works that Joe adapted into a video uh, that it's something along the lines of like five or 10 ways uh, why zombies would never work. And yeah. that, of course, is one of the very first ones. But you're breaking the premise of the thought. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I would just say, like, if the project was designed to teach these students anything, I think it taught them how to have thick skins while people pop out of the woodwork and <laughs> tell you what's wrong about something. And guess what? Welcome to academia. That's totally what it's like. Well, welcome to uh, social Facebook media. and social media. Yeah, that yeah. too. You yeah. don't have to be a, an academic to encounter people who don't read the entire article. But if or, the, right, exactly, or have uh, yeah. or have legitimate issues with uh, the study. I mean, that's yeah, that's part of it. We we. Un- Stuff to blow your mind. We we invite everyone to uh, to give their uh, their take on a particular topic, or you know, criticize it, what have you. Yeah, and and you know, the way I was taught, at least, was that like when you are going through the rigors of preparing a study like this, you should be prepared to defend it in a public forum. And honestly, based on all of these criticisms, it, I feel like these students did a pretty good job. I'd give them an A. You know, yeah. there are a couple of weird things here and there in the paper, but like for the most part, they did what they're supposed to. Now, I, I do have to, to point out that uh, there was a study that came out in 2009 that covered um, basically the same territory. This was uh, titled When Zombies Attack, Mathematical Modeling of an Outbreak of Zombie Infection. And this was by Munz, Hudia, Imad and Smith from the School of Mathematics and, and Statistics at uh, Carleton University. And this was published in Infectious Disease Modeling Research Progress. In 2009. Right around the same time that the CDC was doing it. That, mm-hmm. Maybe that was our peak zombie. Peak zombie. Peak zombie, peak zombie science, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is a really cool study. It's actually available online. I'll try, try to remember to include a link to it on the landing page for this episode because a lot of it... A lot of it breaks down into equations and these different models, but I'm going to just give you the, the high level of how it, how it flows together. And you will definitely notice some similarities between their approach... Uh, and uh, and the approach in the previous study. So they first defined as much of a generic pop culture zombie as possible, you know, falling back on the slow zombie, 
factoring in just the, the basic mundane stuff, not going with, okay. the, with the more fun stuff like the idea that they can talk and they only eat brains. Right. Uh, I'm awaiting that study. Like a reanimator kind of zombie. Oh, yeah. 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 How could we forget reanimator? Yeah. That's a tremendously fun zombie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so he busted out the model along three basic uh, cases. Susceptibility, S, zombies, Z, and removed, R. Very similar. Very similar, yeah. yeah. Like one letter difference. Yeah. So these three classes are then used in equations to spell out how zombie-human interactions lead to zombie removals, death and resurrection as zombies, etc. Then they revise the model to include latent or bite infections, the idea uh-huh. that you'd be bitten and then you're infected for a while and then you turn into a zombie. Mm-hmm. Then they factored in a model for treatment, uh, and essentially, the, you know, curing it. Oh. They modeled uh, the effects of partial quarantine of zombies. Uh, then finally, they factored in impulsive eradication, as they put it, uh, <laughs> into the mix. What is impulsive eradication? It sounds fun. Just kill the heck out of you zombies. Just, it, so it's like, yeah, it's like one of those scenes like where somebody just goes in with a sledgehammer and machete and just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just destroy all zombies, essentially. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's all very equation based. Um, you can look at the study, but uh, unless this is your thing, uh, you're going to get as much out of it as I'm uh, describing here. But uh, but here's what they decided in the end. Quote, an outbreak of zombies infecting humans is likely to be disastrous unless extremely aggressive tactics are employed against the undead. While aggressive quarantine may eradicate the infection, this is unlikely to happen in practice. A cure would only result in some humans surviving the outbreak, although they will still coexist with zombies. Hmm. Only sufficiently frequent attacks with increasing force will result in eradication, assuming the available resources can be mustered in time. Mm. So uh, also, this is kind of interesting in comparison to the previous study. They say the longer the time scale of the uh, of the outbreak, the higher the likelihood of complete human extinction. I think I think if you took the um, math and you pushed it past 100 days, I bet that study would have found the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. They said that the, the the key difference, though, between this model and other real world infectious disease models, like really the only key difference is the resurrection of the dead. Right. Otherwise, you're talking about the same variables that play into considering the spread of, uh, you know, of plague or Ebola yeah. or what have you. Yeah. But they said it, it, as far as a zombie scenario, if if these fictional creatures were to suddenly rise up against us, they say hit hard, hit often. That's the only hope. Well, I'm really impressed that they added the idea of a cure in there. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that in any zombie fiction. I want to say that it was, uh, I remember watching all the special features on oh, Omega 20, Man. Well, Omega Man. Uh, and of course, some fans are probably going to criticize and say, technically, that's a, a vampire film. Yeah, it's true. But uh, it's kind of a hybrid, yeah. to be honest. Uh, I want to say that, uh, though, when I watched the special features for 28 Days Later, there was originally a, a a different cut for the third act. Oh, like, yeah. oh, they only storyboarded it. They never filmed it. Mm-hmm. But it involved something about a cure or a possible uh, cure. Okay. Uh, but they ended up deciding That's it didn't right. work. I remember hearing about this, that like the idea was that the Jim character would be infected at the very end mm-hmm. and they would be trying to cure him. Yeah. And they're like having a conversation with somebody on the other side of a door. Yeah. I found it really interesting, especially yeah. since... Like I, I said earlier, I'm I'm less in love with the third act mm-hmm. of the film, but mm-hmm. I mean third acts are often difficult in films. It's a that's a third act that's like a happy ending third act, and I think the other ones that they had planned would have been like like real dour. Movies. Yeah, I think this one was more dour. Yeah. But yeah, we don't see the the cure for the zombie plague uh, invoked a lot. No, not really. Hmm. Well, but, maybe give us examples if you if you, yeah. you some of you out there are going no, it's in this or whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was kind of a, uh, there was a, a false idea of a cure in The Walking Dead, right? Yeah, but, yeah, there's something like along those lines. And, and maybe it'll pop up again. I think they frequently run into characters who, like, refuse to accept that they're undead, and so they, like, are hoping that they can cure them and they'll mm-hmm. come back, yeah. Well, uh, here's here's a thought to sort of close out on here, I guess. Uh it, it has been, uh, people have, have commented before that, uh, you see this, uh, you see zombies, zombies have never gone away. We've just continually are into zombies. Mm-hmm. But they say that if there's this relationship between, uh, political power in the United States and the popularity of zombies, uh, and or vampires. Oh, they say, yeah. yeah. I've heard about this. They yeah. say that if you have a democratic president, then vampires are in. And if you have a Republican president, 
zombies are in. Huh. So if this holds true at all, I guess we can expect to encounter even more zombie fiction over the next four years. Mm. Unless you classify president-elect, and I guess at the time this uh, publishes president, Donald Trump, as something else. And both supporters and opponents have certainly framed him as such. Okay. So yeah. maybe we're going to see a new craze. Maybe it'll be mummies. Maybe it'll be uh, fish people. That mummy movie is coming out next yeah. summer. And man, didn't we talk about this? They're they're remaking uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. In theory, I don't. I have not checked in on the project to see where it stands, but that's one that's been. I mean, they're they're relaunching the whole Universal right. Monster Shared Universe. Yeah, so. I think the mummy's the spearhead for that. So mm-hmm. maybe that'll be. Oh uh, man, I would I would love to see that. Would be something positive to come out of the next uh, four years for sure if mm-hmm. we see uh, just a gill people take ton over ton of gill people movies. shadow over insmith comes in yeah. uh, the full full swing as a, as a motion picture i'd go for that i'm i'm down dagon yeah great movie remake of zat aka bloodwaters the dr z so to close out i have a question for you if i was bitten and you knew i was going to turn would you kill me would you be able to do it or would you just like lock me in the podcast studio hmm that's a tough question. Um, I guess I would I would lock you in the podcast studio. Okay, but I would I would make sure I like put a lethal amount of snacks in here or something, just so oh, you could you could yeah. make the decision for yourself. That's nice. You know? that, yeah, like I would just eat myself to death before. I yeah, <laughs> that's very likely. Uh, well, those of you out there, let us know. Would you kill me if I was bitten by a zombie? Uh, there's places that you can let us know, or you could let us know more about what you thought about these studies <laughs> as well. Are they effective communication tools for science and public health? We're on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. We also have a lovely home site, stufftoblowyourmind.com. Yeah, and if you want to send us an email, get in touch with us the old-fashioned way, you can do it by sending an email to blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 